0: On episode 95 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, begin with the end in mind with Darla Sees.
1: You have to think about how can I communicate effectively to make sure that I get that person to want to do things for Mm. me and to want to work with me. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world class leadership experts.
0: Welcome to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, I'm Randy Lane. On today's show, we're talking with founder and CEO of Seas Consulting, Darla Seas. She's also a 360 Solutions strategic partner we talk about her decades of experience working on employee engagement in a variety of industries.
1: If we have somebody that's, what, 50% engaged and, and that's our significant other, h- how well is that relationship? Mm. And so the same thing with employees. If you have an employee show up and they're 50% engaged, well, first of all, okay, so that's great. They, it's eight-hour work day, so they're 50% engaged. So you four hours of work. Four, four hours of work.
0: <laughs> and now, here's Darla. <laughs> Well, welcome to the podcast, Darla. It's really good to have you on the 360 team. You are a brand new strategic partner, but you've been doing this sort of work for a very long time. So let's just kind of start with, can you introduce yourself and tell us about your background?
1: Okay. I've been in HR for almost 20 years now worked as mainly generalist in all different areas, so I've been responsible for anywhere from the benefits side of it all the way to taking care of the employees, employee relations, and of course that's where my passion is, is making sure that the employees are taken care of, so focusing on that is uh, more important to me.
0: So you kind of are leaving out some stuff that was interesting to me. Is it true that you worked for the prison system at one point?
1: I did, not in HR. I was a substance abuse counselor in the prison system when I was 19.
0: When you were 19.
1: 19.
0: Well, let's, let's talk about the whole picture because we, we will definitely talk about the HR and the consulting and what you're doing now. But I really want the full picture of who you are as a person. So let's start with how did you get into that sort of thing? Was that one of your first kind of gigs? Because I, I can see that as a good foundation for really caring about people is caring for people who may be left out by society, right?
1: Absolutely. Well, I actually started in high school. I was involved in a drug-free program. And the officer in our our high school got me really involved and started going to Texas War on Drugs, which was a Texas-wide initiative to make sure that folks are drug-free and just that became a passion. So I went into substance abuse counseling. Got a degree in substance abuse counseling, got a license in it, and my first stop was the prison system. (laughs) And uh, my goal initially was to cure all mass murderers and make sure we put them back out on the streets because that's where they should be. (laughs) And I have since learned that that's not really exactly what I should be doing in life.
0: Okay. And so do you have any very interesting stories about trying to help people at that early stage in your career?
1: Actually, it was a great experience. Like I said, I was 19, so I wasn't even legal to drink in the state of Texas, much mm-hmm. less do anything else. It was really interesting just to, it was a behavior modification unit. So we try to make sure that we begin with the end in mind and try to teach them how to play the tape all the way through and what you make of your decisions today and your behaviors today can end up positively or negatively impacting you.
0: So, you know, that's actually kind of common with also keeping employees engaged in an organization is beginning with the end in mind and really trying to understand the person as a whole, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: From that. So did you kind of think early in your life that you wanted to kind of be like a social worker type of person or?
1: Actually, that's exactly what I went to school for my um, bachelor's degrees in social work. And and so, yes, I was going to go out there and and help. And, And I love the social work side of it. I... Just like helping people, I like making sure that they know how to stand up for themselves, they know how to take care of themselves, and better develop themselves and grow Mm -hmm. as an individual.
0: And so did you actually spend some time as a social worker as well?
1: No, I did not. Um, I spent several years in the prison, and then after that, I went back to school to to go into um, training and development in the HR world of it.
0: Okay. And then, so you've been in HR for the the longest part of your career up until now. I have. What are some things, some misconceptions about HR that people may be thinking, you know, at home, like this is what HR is?
1: Well, I think it's pretty interesting. Um, HR is usually the prim and proper, not the friendliest, nothing but the rule taker, Hmm. just kind of make sure that every. I is dotted, every T is crossed, which is a good thing. However, though, sometimes they're not perceived as friendly and as helpful as they could be, Mm -hmm. that it's more about making sure the policies and procedures are correct Mm -hmm. instead of actually taking care of the company, which sometimes can be perceived as a different view of how an HR person is.
0: Mm-hmm. It's also kind of like the principal's office sometimes. If you get called to HR, you know, there's there's a problem. Right? I
1: actually have a shirt that says that. This is <laughs> human resources, this is the adult principal's office. <laughs> um, so yes, I think that's a little funny.
0: So once you got your degree, what kind of company did you start working in?
1: My first company was actually a manufacturing plant, okay. uh, which was 24 seven except for six days a year that we closed down. And that was very interesting, just different. It was nonstop, it just seemed like. Um, mm-hmm. So Had to, it was nice. I was single at the time, so I could go in at any time that I needed to and take care of employee relations issues. There was over 400 people in a little plant, which causes a lot of... Interesting dynamics with each other.
0: Yeah, the long working hours probably also brings up some sort of a conflict every once in a while, stuff
1: yes. like that. It was twelve-hour shifts too. Okay. So yeah, there was conflict, and you know, at a manufacturing plant, it can't stop. Mm-hmm. The the belts don't stop. Everything is being created, and nothing ha- You can't just stop your productivity. It's a little bit more interesting there, I think, in the manufacturing plant than some places, because sometimes people could stop and take a break. Uh, they can't unless somebody's there to give them a break.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what were some of the issues you were dealing with when you were there?
1: Some of it was, you know, productivity. Even though the belts don't stop, sometimes the people minds stop, and mm-hmm. um, so there's a lot of quality issues. There could be quality issues on not making sure things are done properly. Making sure you show up to work. We had a lot of issues with showing up to work and making sure to work the whole twelve-hour shifts, mm-hmm. which was a little bit different as well, too.
0: What are some ideas of ways to make employees feel valued in a situation like that where it's like assembly line type of work? I'm sure it's pretty easy for them to just feel like, well, I'm just another person here pulling this lever. They don't really need me, they don't really value me.
1: Well, we had to do a lot of team building activities. We had events that would occur during lunch or during maybe after hours or even extended hours, just to make sure that they knew that they were valued as a person as well too. And make sure that they knew what the whole goal was i think understanding what the goal is that they're working towards and what their their little piece that you know if a certain part doesn't fit whenever you're trying to we made nokia phones back in the day whenever (laughs) whenever the little plastic parts on it um, how you used to be able to change the face Mm -hmm. different colors out that's what we made if it didn't fit it didn't fit so if that was your piece that you had to make sure that Uh, was in compliance it didn't and it didn't work the whole thing is just scrapped Mm -hmm. so just understanding what the big picture is is very important as well too
0: Man, phones were built better back then, I feel like. You could throw those Nokias around.
1: (laughs) Yes, you could. I loved it because you used to be able to change the color to whatever you were wearing. So you had a lot of different options. Now, it's not so much.
0: (laughs) Did you make an effort to show them like, hey, this is the kind of phone that we're building. This is the capabilities of it. So that they knew when they're maybe installing the antenna, you know, they're like, it's not a big deal. But it's like, no, it's a big deal. Overall, this is going to be a product that's going to help people. Yes.
1: Yes. The supervising shift managers did to definitely go through all of that and let them see the big picture of what it was.
0: So there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are leaders and they love team building exercises. And you said that you had some that you did there. What kind of stuff were you doing with these guys? I'm so bringing long. it up. It's been I, it a while. Was so
1: long ago. Yes. <laughs> because this was my first HR job like 17 years ago. We did a lot of the fish gung ho activities. Just, what is you that? know It's, it's actually just, it was, it's two different separate books that you just celebrated you celebrated when you hit your successes you, you just like the fish market just played around and threw fish around we didn't literally throw fish but you just brought into some training activities to where you played and had fun at work really it's, it's just about
0: fish gung ho. Is that what you said?
1: Fish and gung ho.
0: Oh, fish and gung. It's not the same thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, explain this again. I'm not quite getting it. The fish part. What is the?
1: You know, the concept is just celebrating, okay. celebrating and having fun, and, and they're they're both kind of the same concept at the time. Celebrating what you're doing, enjoying what you're doing, making sure that it's a team environment, and you almost party at work. It's okay. kind of a, a, a joy.
0: No trust falls. That wasn't something you did as a team? No, no trust falls.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not there at least.
0: So from there where'd you go after that?
1: After that, I went to a construction company. Staying
0: in kind of the blue collar I area, did. right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And
1: and we we were more of a project management company. So I had project managers and superintendents that I work with quite a bit. Not as much as the on hand deck folks, but it was more the management side of it that we worked with there.
0: So that's kind of a different animal in the regard that when you're working with the manufacturing guys who are doing the one single part maybe over and over again, these guys have a big project with lots of possibilities for things that maybe they hadn't checked on or something. You got to really dot your I's and cross your T's. So how was that kind of employee different and how did you approach that from an HR perspective?
1: Well, it's definitely a different um, approach because they started with moving dirt it was just nothing Uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of times there wasn't even utilities to the site they built schools down in west texas um, schools and prisons and i keep going back to prison don't i Um, (laughs) (laughs) they had to be able to again see the end in mind they had to see what the the end picture is going to be and how to put each little step into process to make sure that it got where it needed to go and of course deal with issues that came along the way whether it was a rain delay or maybe someone the products weren't in there fast enough or your your subcontractor decided to go on vacation for the day instead of (laughs) go to work you know that kind of stuff
0: very interesting yeah i know that construction can be a very volatile industry my wife used to do construction sales she would sell hilti equipment so like the big power tools and stuff and Mm There was, you know, sometimes there's some turnover, sometimes there's delays, sometimes there's one of the guys did it wrong. So you have to go back and redo things. I would think that um, that kind of working with that kind of person to try and keep them level headed would be to really ingrain the idea of staying flexible.
1: It is. Yes. And and um, and also have systems in place because there Mm -hmm. are so many things in the construction world that if you don't get this done, you can't go to the next phase, you Mm -hmm. know, which is sometimes we like to start things when things are not finished at all times and some things you have to make sure you complete which is nice
0: is it also kind of it's tough sometimes when you have such a big project thinking about you know you said keeping the end in mind if you're building this massive building thinking about what it's actually going to look like at the end run you know it sounds like that's really far away and it might kind of wear on you over time if you're trying to build this thing you're like oh i just got to get it done don't i
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and sometimes it's it's years in in the work, Um, but it's also one of the most rewarding uh, industries that I've worked in so far, because it really is neat to see absolutely nothing turned into something really big.
0: Yeah, and once it's there, it's there. It's there. That's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was there any sort of special team building or curriculum that you used with them when you were kind of building up their rapport together?
1: For, for them, it was more communication and making mm-hmm. sure that they had the communication skills to work with a diverse group. Working with the subcontractors is very different than working with a team player that you're next to and, and making sure that you communicate to where they want to come to work. They want to put your job ahead of others. Having different skills and, and the ability to do that is, could be the key to your success of your project as well, too.
0: What was the biggest problem you saw with them and their communication skills?
1: Sometimes in that industry, folks just say what they want to (laughs) say and they don't communicate it in a soft way. And Mm. not that you have to be soft, but you do have to be respectful and kind. And really, when you think of the end in mind, you have to think about how can I communicate effectively to make sure that I get that person to want to do things for Mm. me and to want to work with me and want to give the best quality of work uh, that they can and not just do it just to check that box. Mm -hmm. And so having the the art to be able to do that is is definitely a skill set.
0: That's something I feel like the best leaders can really do. I recall early in my career, I was put in charge of editing a newspaper for a military base, and it was a bigger project than I really could have handled. But the base public affairs officer was in, in charge of me. And he was really good at saying like, oh man, you're doing so great. You know, I understand this is a really big project and I really appreciate the effort you're making. And it made me want to work harder for him, even though, you know, in hindsight, I can see he's just trying to accomplish his goals, but it didn't feel that way. I felt appreciated. And I guess that's kind of what you're getting at is they need to feel appreciated so they'll accomplish their task. Absolutely. Excellent. So where'd you go from there? Did you stay in the blue collar?
1: I went to, where did I go from there? Actually, from there, I went to telecommunications.
0: So very different, yeah? Very
1: different, yes. We had a very diverse group there. We had anywhere from retail sales to business-to-business sales uh, to the network engineers. Just very diverse group.
0: And so how was that different from the other jobs that you had doing kind of, you know, assembly line type of stuff and the big project construction stuff?
1: That was fun. I, I had a really good time there. I was um, the people development manager. So I had a couple states that I was responsible for. So my job was to make sure that the people in my area um, were taken care of. That was probably where I really did begin to learn um, where my passion is. I got to, of course, go out and take care of employee relations issues. And when there wasn't any employee relations issues, I got to go out and do rewards and uh, make sure that the managers uh, were taken care of and developed how they needed to be developed. To take care of their individual employees. It was that was a lot of fun.
0: So, what kind of issues did they have that was different from what you dealt with previously?
1: You know, that was a really good culture. So, we really did not have a lot of issues. That's good. It was yeah, it was great. I had two area general managers that I supported, and both of them were excellent at what they did. And it started from the top. It started from the top, top down. They ingrained a culture of excellence throughout our whole organization to where uh, we even had programs like the circle of excellence to where you, a couple people a year, whoever actually won those awards got to go to Hawaii for well, a couple a days. Incentive. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really a good culture just to continue to support and, and to be part of and make sure that each manager came in and understood what that culture was. And that was primarily my job is to make sure to support that and go and train them and support them and make sure they were living that culture that was already set for the company.
0: Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of people that listen to this podcast are looking for is that really good culture. Mm -hmm. It's like a really good culture is something that you have to really treat with care because even if you have a good culture, just one or two bad eggs into that culture could really cause a difference or even just slipping on some of the cultural identity just slightly here or there could really throw it off. So what were some of the things that this company was doing and you were doing to kind of keep this culture really nice the way it was?
1: Well, one of the things that we definitely did was we went out and individually Explained to them what the culture was and, and made sure that they had a, a true understanding of how to do it and, and what behaviors were displayed in it. Another thing we did is we, we addressed issues quickly, mm. which I think that oftentimes, especially in my years of experience in HR as managers, uh, don't have the skills or courage sometimes to handle things in a fast, effective approach. So Mm. here we are six months later and it's the same thing that's happened, but they're at their wit's end. So at this particular company, we addressed it fast. We made sure to move on from what we were doing fast. That was, I think that was key to everything Mm -hmm. is, is that. And then we celebrated we made sure that we did, we did road trips. We had parties when we did road trips, so we did really big recognition. We recognized people and not only did some get to go to Hawaii, that was the ultimate goal, Mm -hmm. but we did just little, little milestones, quarterly milestones to make sure people knew who was going above and beyond and who was being excellent. And, and we just celebrated, which is huge as well, too.
0: Chip kind of, I don't know if he coined this phrase, but it's something he uses a lot. And, uh, it's the, like the, as far as we go with bad language on this show, but he them crap magnets have you heard that before
1: I have not but I can imagine what it is <laughs> he, loved, he
0: loves this um, so it's basically somebody in your organization that always seems to be the negative person and they are going to kind of attract other people to them to be like because you know misery loves company Absolutely. so when you have somebody like that I'm sure you've dealt with people like this in your career that are just negative or have a bad attitude and they're trying to pull people into their orbit how do you deal with those kind of people
1: you know, I, I think I bring my prison time back into it to where I <laughs> literally just address it head on, typically. Mm. I address it head on, but not only that do I address the other individuals around it too. And I and I have them bring themselves up to a different level and make sure that they don't let somebody else change the way that they act and the, the way they behave mm. um, in the prison we used to say if it doesn't come out in the wash it comes out in the rinse and what that always means is that you don't have to be the one to bring up somebody else's bad behaviors or somebody else's personality that is bringing down the the rest of the the folks the crap
0: crap magnets crap
1: magnets you don't have to bring down <laughs> the crap magnets they'll bring themselves down mm, that's so true. that's the that it comes out in so if you just sit back and, and make sure that you are being 100 percent professional and 100 positive positive and doing what you need to do then people take care of themselves
0: yeah but it's also tough because you know much like if you have a, a big bowl of fruit and one of the fruit has mold on it it starts kind of spreading so you have to be really careful and like you were saying this is kind of why i brought it up you said that when issues came up you had to address them quickly mm-hmm. Because I feel like if, especially if there's a miscommunication, like if the crap magnet thinks the situation is a certain way, but it's really not, then addressing it and seeing what their issue is right away is also a good way to say, you know, they're like, well, I thought that I was going to win the trip to Hawaii, but I didn't. So now I'm going to be Debbie Downer, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that's what you do. And and really the key is communication. Mm. The key is to make sure that they are communicating. And, you know, it's okay not to fit and if you don't fit then it's it's okay to leave or to be asked to leave and that's one thing that i don't think that everybody realizes it's not okay to be like that in life it's not okay to always be negative and to be down but it but it is okay to go and find a place to where you do fit,
0: and it's better for everybody because if they're not happy, then they're not going to do their best work, and maybe there is a position out there for them where they can do their best work. Absolutely. Okay, so where'd you go from there?
1: After that, I actually um, worked in small business for a long time. I worked for a doctor's office, a local doctor's office. I was working part time while I was raising my girls. Mm-hmm. Worked there for years. Did all of HR. Did a culture initiative for them. I did their benefits. I, all the good stuff that HR does.
0: What are some of the issues that doctor's offices can face?
1: Well, some of the things that I found interesting at the doctor's office is, is you have different socioeconomical classes and different levels. I mean, you mm-hmm. have, you have individuals that are front desk folks that, that, were probably one of the lower paying positions that we had there mm-hmm. all the way up to the top doctors. And so I think trying to understand the different gaps in that and understand what is important to each person. You, you have people live in paycheck to paycheck. And then you have people that do not. Right, And not everybody understands this stress that goes along with, with money. Money is huge. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's probably the biggest thing. Um, and, and along with that is, is the different education levels, obviously, a variety. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have that typically in, in a lot of Organizations, You do have different levels of education and different levels of socioeconomical classes pretty much in any company, but this one was more prevalent because everybody was working in a very small place together. Um, and pretty much from any patient that walked in the door, they got to see all the different levels. You, you go through the whole level structure whenever you're walking into a patient office, just making sure that they work together as a good team was pretty awesome.
0: One of the core 360 principles is that everyone should feel like they're a part owner. In the organization and they should feel that ownership and it should give them a certain amount of confidence and that the people at the top should also understand that and to strive to give the people at the bottom, you know, a sense of ownership. And yeah, I have noticed that in doctor's offices, you know, definitely people kind of, you know, if the doctor's there and he's, you know, he's very well educated, he or she making very good money, it's easy for the front desk person or the nurse or somebody else to feel not like they can tell the doctor what's going on my mother-in-law is actually an optometrist she works in a small clinic and she talks all the time about how good her techs are you know how they can really take care of stuff and sometimes spot stuff that she may have missed or didn't quite see because they do it all the time and they're Mm -hmm. really good and she really appreciates them And the way she talks to them is very much like a peer, even though a lot of them, like you mentioned, are probably not anywhere near the level of experience and education she has. So I think that's really key and something that you can see and I have definitely seen in doctor's offices where... The doctors kind of run it like a, you know, they're the king, right?
1: Yeah, and sometimes that can can happen, and sometimes they realize that they're they're not, and the nurses or the clinical assistants are the ones that actually um, get to see everybody, and and then the ones that typically know the patients better, right? And so it's kind of nice to understand, and, and in this particular environment, it was it was a it was a good teamwork in that they understood it because there are certain things that you would tell the nurse that you just kind of freeze up and don't tell the doctors. That's true. And so making sure that the communication between both of them was actually key. And then, you know, the front desk was always one of my special spots because those are the individuals that usually get abused the most by patients. You don't typically go to a doctor's office because you're feeling well and you're excited to go there. Um, Typically, you're going there. and And this particular office was a pediatrician and family medicine. And the pediatrician side of it usually... Moms are not always that nice when their kids are yelling at them and screaming and earache and all that stuff. So the front desk folks, uh, making sure that you have the excellent front desk staff is extremely important as well, too.
0: It's the first experience they're going to have before they see the doctor. If they feel comfortable, you know, because the front desk person was really nice to them and helpful, they're going to feel better about their experience.
1: Absolutely. They're always at the heart of the of any organization is usually whether it's at the doctor's office or or at just any any kind of organization. I think the front desk is always the heart of the the company.
0: The other job that you had, and you said you had like a multi-state territory, I'm Mm -hmm. assuming there's a lot more people involved. And then you went to this kind of a smaller situation. Which environment
1: do you like better? You know, I'm really comfortable in both. Okay, I like to get to know people intimately, but I also liked um, getting to know others as well, too. I think it's the time constraint at the time. Um, Like I said, I was at home most of the time with my girls as well, too, taking some time to break them. So I only worked part-time at the 30-something people to know. The doctor's mm-hmm. office was, was up to um, a little bit of, uh, it started smaller, but then it got up to around 30. When I left, it was still a pretty good size, but I'm comfortable with both.
0: Nice. Was there any sort of team-building exercises or anything that you found that worked really well with them?
1: Yeah, we played a lot. We, we mm-hmm. celebrated a lot. We have made sure we had um, employee recognition days. We made sure we had special, you know, special holidays or summer events. Uh, made sure that we just did fun things to make sure everybody was included and communicated. And, you know, the Easter bunny would drop off little things every <laughs> once in a while or just little stuff like that that just kind of helped um, make everybody's day just shine a little bit and start off correct.
0: You know, it's it's the small stuff. Like, we don't do a a ton here at 360. You know, we're a very small team as well. But, you know, one of the things we definitely do is birthday lunches. And there's something about, you know, just something that's set in stone that's like, this happens. And it's a time for us to kind of just relax and kind of be with each other as almost as friends. You Mm -hmm. know, you're still coworkers. Mm -hmm. I consider all my coworkers friends.
1: Right, right, right.
0: (laughs) And I also consider all the 360 team extended family and friends, so that includes you now well. As well. thank
1: you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we have lots of fun when we do our partner meetings. You know, we learn a lot about leadership, and we also have a good time, so that's right. very important. It is.
1: And, and you have that, that team to where mm-hmm. you can be supported whenever you need it is also kind of nice as well, too.
0: Does that bring us up to date, or is there more work experience. Since then,
1: I, I started my own HR consulting business, so I've been out doing that for several years now. I work with an array of folks now. Uh, it's just different um, different groups. There could be anywhere from one of my clients has one employee and wants to make sure that they start off correct, and then I have one that has a close to 100 employees. That's a lot of fun, too, because there's a lot of different industries and it depends on the day, and sometimes it depends on the morning versus the afternoon as to what industry I'm working in and how many employees I'm working in, but typically I, I support anywhere from 7 to 10 companies at a time and work with totally different CEOs or owners or whatever their title is uh, in different industries. And it's, it's fun because it keeps me on my toes quite frequently.
0: Yeah. And you've already, before you even started the consulting thing, you had so many different experiences from your life dealing with all these different people. I feel like the main message I'm getting from you is that you really want to make employees feel cared for. And to feel like part of a team and to feel like part of the vision and the mission of the organization they're working for. And that's one of those things that keeps coming up whenever I, you know, I'm reading blogs about how to keep your employees happy, how to keep them engaged. It all comes down to do they feel valued? Do they feel happy where they are?
1: Absolutely. I've been known from time or two several times with employees. If you ever go home and you worry about it for more than 10 minutes or so, give me a call. And (laughs) I've always been that way because I think that if you have to bring your work life to your home life, that's not good. And too many times we do stress about that too much. We don't get to spend nearly as much time as we'd like to with our family and our friends. And so bringing whatever we are doing at work and the stressors that we have, which you get to spend most of your time at work. So why bring that home as well, too? It just makes it makes it a big piece and making sure that you are bought into whatever you're doing and you enjoy what you're doing is really huge for me.
0: So I feel like the people that are contacting you are probably people that are already feeling that pinch. They're saying, you know, I feel like we have really good company here but our employees aren't happy or we have a higher turnover than we want how does an organization that's feeling that way what's some good like first steps they can take take to make sure that they really are keeping their employees?
1: I think the first thing is communication. Oftentimes I don't think we know how to communicate what we want to communicate. So I usually go back to folks and say, okay, let's let's think this in advance and let's go ahead and write it down. Let's figure out how to, to go and, and start the conversation and let them know why we are unhappy or why you have fears in different areas. And just start the dialogue is, is what's really good. And then you have to have intent. You have to have you have to be intentional making sure that you're going to improve that relationship. I often relate relationships at work as in relationships in our own home life. And if we have somebody that's, what, 50% engaged and, and that's our significant other, h- how well is that relationship? Mm-hmm. And so the same thing with employees. If you have an employee show up and they're 50% engaged, well, first of all, okay, so that's great. They, it's eight-hour workday, so they're 50% engaged. So you have four hours of work. Four, <laughs> four hours of work. But you're paying them for more than that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's huge. And that's where the owners or the managers start getting even more upset is because I am paying you. I, mm. You should be doing what I'm paying you for. But reality is, is we have to create that environment to make sure that we can get the most productive and the most highly effective individuals involved into it.
0: I'm going to throw some scenarios out for you and see how you would handle this. Okay. These are things I've actually seen. So I know that, you know, they're out there.
1: Does that mean it's right? There's a right and wrong answer since you've seen You know, that? I don't know. <laughs>
0: and that's why I want to ask you about it. You're, you're the expert here. So the first one that I, i've seen a, a bit I've, I've been this way my, myself before is the person who feels valued they know they're valued but they are overworked and it's difficult for them to keep their head afloat if i'm the manager of a person like that what's the best way to approach that person and kind of help them in that regard
1: First thing to do is probably more of priorities and figure out what it is that is really a priority and what is not a priority. You know, the one thing is really good uh, by Gary Keller and it talks about uh, making your to-do list and then mm-hmm. making a priority list and then yeah. we're now bringing it down to one thing as so what you need to do. And I think that oftentimes we get stuck into doing a lot of little things that are not as effective as doing some big things. Mm. And I think that managers can definitely help their employees work through that and say, this is really what the bang for the buck is because I think sometimes as employees, we're like, oh my gosh, we were told once to do this, we need to do this and we have all this list mm. and and we're doing a lot of little stuff right. that doesn't really hit the big picture and it's a, and it's so relieving to get rid of some of that little stuff to actually see that you're going to get to that big picture.
0: Yeah. I used to, when I first started working, someone had asked me to do something. If they're above me, I would say, okay, well, that's a priority. And as I've gotten more sure of myself, I've said, you know, hey, thank you for bringing that to me. Uh, Just letting you know, I'm working on these four things. Does this take priority over those? And they'll say, oh, no, no, no. Just get get to that when you can. But, you know, before the end of the week, then I know I'm not trying to kill myself just because I don't want to have that conversation with my boss. Right.
1: Absolutely. I think that's huge.
0: And then also for me personally, the way I organize my to do list is I have today, upcoming and later and today. Is stuff I want to get done today and I try and keep it to three and then if I accomplish those three things great and I can move stuff from up- upcoming to today mm-hmm. and then upcoming is like this week and then later is like a week or later mm-hmm. so that kind of helps me in- instead of looking at a giant list and going oh my gosh I'm never going to be done I can kind of go okay let me get these done let me celebrate you know that's a big part of I think your ethos as well right mm-hmm. celebrate I got them done. Let me, uh, now I can move in some other stuff.
1: Absolutely. I know whenever I first started in HR, I was extremely overwhelmed with all of that. And I had a Franklin. And so what I would do is I would only put three or four things down each day that i had to get done and then i would start scheduling it for the rest of the week out so i would just go ahead and turn to that page and put it on there so i didn't have one to-do list because that's extremely overwhelming i had a to-do list for each day and it would just kind of get pushed back to whatever it was And, and 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 you're right in saying this is when i can get it done and if somebody is above you that is asking you to do something you can say you know what i have time on my schedule next Tuesday can yeah. I get that to you by Tuesday at noon or something right. and they'll let you know if they can't if right. you can't uh, or if that's a higher priority mm-hmm. so that's extremely important to make sure you clarify when the deadline is
0: what about the kind of person who's just like you know this isn't my passion I'm not passionate about it I'm just trying to get a paycheck
1: you know I think that it's really nice we can either have the option of coach up or coach out Is what <laughs> I um, like to call it and and usually what I do start off a conversation with managers I ask him I said okay what's our intent are we coaching up or are we coaching out? And coaching out people out of your organization is okay. It definitely is okay because there is a place that they will find their passion and they will go and do what they need to do. But let's figure out how to do it. So let's open up that conversation with them, say, okay, what is it that you really want to do and how can we help you get there a Mm. little bit easier? It gives you the time to start making sure that you know how to plan your team in the future and to recruit and attain individuals that will be passionate about it and it also gets the individual the respectful way of leaving mm-hmm. and a good way to help them better themselves as well too and be happy
0: and then I know what I would say in this situation and I feel like I know what you'll say as well but would you rather have the highly skilled person that's not motivated or the person who doesn't have the skills but is very motivated to learn them
1: absolutely a second yep it's yep. you can definitely teach skills but motivation and passion you can't teach that You could teach the skills, but the other one just kind of comes along with it. So, And that's what really makes people more successful.
0: Is there anything about the HR world or about like working with organizations that you've learned that maybe a lot of people don't know or is surprising to people or maybe even surprising to you when you learned it?
1: I don't know if it's surprising to me when I learned it. I just think that so many people do not take the time to truly learn how to become a better manager and a better leader. leader. Mm -hmm. I think so many people are promoted because they're good at what they do. And then all of a sudden they are given all this other responsibility and there's nothing more frustrating to me in the world than folks to not understand what the manager piece of their job is. Mm. Usually it's even in their job title, (laughs) manager of something, but they don't take the time for that. And I think that, you know, if you're, you have no idea how many times I've, I've met with people and said, okay, how many, how many one-on-ones have you had with your employee? What goals are they working on? What 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 are you developing them in? They're like, I don't have time to meet with my employees. What are you talking about? I don't have time for one-on-ones. Like, yeah. really, if you don't have time to invest in your employees and manage them or to lead them in a, in a great direction, then you don't have time to be a manager and you shouldn't be having that title. And I know that not always is the pay there, mm-hmm. but it's a passion. It's a passion as well, too. Really, if you just invested You know, it's the whole Pareto principle. If you just invested just a little bit of your time, Mm -hmm. you know, 20% of your time in developing your team, you can get 80% of your production and productivity Mm increased just just by, you know, making sure that you have an intentful relationship with them and purposeful.
0: I think our industry has been hurt by the labeling of leadership development as soft skills we call them essential skills here at 360 absolutely. obviously <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely i totally agree with you i think that leadership skills not an option it should be mandatory it's mm. almost like you know military <laughs> mandatory fun right. is what it should be but i agree i think that it's not additional skills it's a requirement of your job at mm-hmm. that at that certain point, and I think that when you tie it into bottom line and productivity and engagement and how much money you're really throwing out the window mm-hmm. if you don't have good leadership, to me, it's a no brainer.
0: Yeah, I'm sure this is true of your clients. It's true of Chip's clients, I know for sure, and a lot of other 360 partners. Where once a client starts working on the sort of skills and they start developing their leaders and their communication and their emotional intelligence and all this great stuff. They go, you know what, this is definitely worth it. I felt before, like, you know, what is this really going to benefit my employees? But once I really started seeing the fruits of it, now it's essential. It's something we have to do. And especially with chips, clients, they're like banging on the door. We need more of that. Where when they first started, they're like, I don't know if we have time for this.
1: Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, it's just like in any relationship, when you actually spend the time to nurture it, uh, you enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. And I think that um, just seeing at the cost of what turnover is and how much that impacts your organization. And then if you add the, the dollars and cents to the productivity level and engagement level, you could see the whole picture and you can understand that it really is uh, in everybody's best interest to be grown in different areas.
0: And it's just like a relationship, like you said. You know, if you only buy flowers for your wife on valentine's day and her birthday but the rest of the time don't show her, her any love she's not gonna stick around that long absolutely
1: is she? <laughs> absolutely you have to be engaged you know 100 of the time in a relationship and so our, our work relationship is just as important as other relationships in our life it'll get us to a happier life just in general
0: mm-hmm. well darla thanks so much for coming in we'll make sure and put all your contact information in the show notes we'll share that out so people who want to start working with you can
1: perfect thank you
0: Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.